but in China, in Japan, in Korea, uh, maybe sometimes also in Germany, uh, you you know you want to translate those into uh, the, the language of, of your investment uh, fund client. That is kind of prime prime property for potential MT post editing. Um, Again, only post-editing because the companies can get huge fines if they, if they get stuff wrong. And welcome to SlaterPod. Hi, Esther. Hi, Florian. So welcome to the half-century, the golden episode of SlaterPod. Golden episode, number yeah. Number 50. So that's nearly a year, nearly a year's worth of SlaterPod. Yeah. We probably skipped a couple episodes over Christmas, so it's probably been one year. I don't know. I remember we the, one of the first episodes we talked about Cantan uh, MT being acquired by Keywords. And that was exactly so, a year ago? Must have been, I think, December, late December maybe. Can't remember, but yeah. Half Century, the golden episode. And to celebrate this episode, we decided not to have a guest. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, we, we have no guests today, uh, and that is because we're completely coasting off the, uh, success that was last week's, um, podcast with Chris Fetner, which so far has been our most downloaded podcast and it's getting up there in terms of the views as well. So again, uh, thanks. Thanks Chris for doing this. It was great. Um, of course, this is a big week for us. That's one of the reasons why we decided to, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, take a bit of the pressure off uh, and uh, uh, because we have Slatercon remote coming up tomorrow basically or today basically by the time again you're listening to this it actually happened yesterday so it, it's in a couple of hours so we'll be spending a lot of time in front of our mics and our screens today uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this I'm um, you're you're doing a uh, with the panel right the medtech panel yeah I'm moderating the medtech panel yeah. Looking forward um, and, to that. Yeah, I do a presentation also. I uh, talked to uh, Jack, Bob, and Balash uh, from uh, SmartLing, XTM, and MemoQ, respectively. We have a, and then uh, also uh, have a few questions for Alex from Farfetch. So, well, again, by the time this airs, uh, or you can you can access this, uh, it'll be it'll be behind us, and it'll be uh, probably early next week. We'll upload it to our video on demand, so you can uh, you can go there and and, and listen to it uh, the the recording. Cool. So in terms of the housekeeping, well, our media kit is ready. I might have mentioned it before, but I might have not, so I don't remember. So let me just pluck this here because we do not have advertisers, but we still want to tell you a bit more about what's going on. So we have a media kit ready um, for anybody, you know, head over to our ad page and uh, download it. It's got everything that you want to know about uh, how to advertise and, and, and collaborate with Slater in 2021. You know, we got 125,000 monthly page views. We now have 13,000 weekly subscribers to the newsletter. That's one 3K subscribers. It's up 15, 16% year over year. We keep adding like 50 new subscribers every week. Um, and obviously a very senior, um, senior audience there, senior uh, subscriber base, uh, lots of buyers as well. I think there's like, what is it? 3,000, 4,000 buyers. Um, so, you know, try to get some exposure there. And uh, we also have the RFP service. We have like, we've published what, 1,600 RFPs since 2016. <laughs> That's a lot it's of a translation lot. RFPs. It's like 400 a year or something ish. <laughs> That's so Seems many. Like a lot. Uh, yeah, you know, just to probably had some question. repeat ones by now, as in, you know, how sure a lot of have. them are on like a four year cycle. We probably had a 
probably had the, the second version of I'm sure whatever contract yeah, yeah, yeah. from 2016. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and to preempt some questions, yes, most of them are government, most of them are public, like NGOs, publicly available stuff, but you don't want to really aggregate this yourself. You know, we do this for you. So all of those information, uh, all of that information you'll find in our media kit. And if you have any, um, any questions, get in touch with Andrew. We still have some, but not too much ad inventory available for 2021. So it's going fast, TikTok. Um, all right, let's go into today's uh, agenda. So first, let me just briefly talk about a story I, 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 I actually wrote yesterday about uh, Germany's judicial translators and interpreters. That was, uh, was tricky to go through all of that German bureaucracy language but I kind of like it. It's the long words, and then you try to make it into a coherent uh, English article. So, well, they got a, a new uh, kind of an amendment to a law, like an update. So every six to 10 years, uh, the uh, well, federal, um, federal level, on the federal level, Germany updates compensation for uh, court-related services, like including like law fee, lawyer fees, and uh, including like uh, translator interpreter fees. And so they did that. And this may sound like a bit of a niche uh, issue, but actually, um, according to UEPO, which is kind of Germany's version of, of Slater in a sense, um, they, they, there's about 25,000 uh, linguists, let's just call them linguists, translators and interpreters, registered in Germany's national database of court translators and interpreters. And that's probably roughly half of all of Germany's translators and interpreters. So this federal... Um, pricing level uh, applies to a lot of people when they work for, for the courts and the judicial system. Uh, so what are the rates? Uh, well, they're for um, the hourly rate was increased from, and this applies, I think, to both translators and interpreters. It was, a, uh, um, it was increased from a range of 70 uh, to 75 years for consecutive and simultaneous. So now it's unified. It's a unified uh, 85 euros per hour. I think it's mostly for court interpreting, sorry. Uh, but initially, uh, this was actually uh, an initial draft of the, the act of the law was 95, so it kind of wiggled down by uh, 10, 10 euros. As, Settled as in the middle a little bit. Yeah, compromise. Um, mm. For translation, interestingly, they're still measuring this by the line. I remember in my super early days, like CLS also invoiced by the line for some Swiss oh, yeah. legacy customers. But I don't know. I mean, it's 2020. So by the line, a line is what exactly? Well, I thought it was based on, well, I thought we were going to break it down into words per line, but I suppose it's characters, uh, 55 characters, including the spaces. That's a line. very short line. Is it? It's a very <laughs> short line. I haven't counted. Well, let's just let's just take the sentence test we have in you our show notes here. One. So that would be ninety-two characters. So you know, it's normal. It's eleven uh, font size. It's Arial. So it's basically half of that. So it's a very short line, um, and. And, and so the line price, again, 55 characters, including spaces, was increased from a range of 150, 155 euros to, to 205 euros to 180 euros to 210. And there's some, well, 
wide range because if it's basically an editable format, it's a quote-unquote normal text. Uh, it doesn't have any other kind of uh, factors around it. It's 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 the lower end. It's 180 now, and if it's maybe a scanned PDF or it, is, it arrives at the middle of the night, it, it's maybe and you have to turn it around super fast. It's two two euro at uh, ten uh, ten cents per line. I try to do an equivalent word price. I think I came up with something between 20 euro cents and 25 euro cents per word, mm -hmm. which is very, very high uh, yeah. in kind of a corporate um, context, I guess. Uh, yeah. But again, it's it's an inexact science uh, because, well, you know, how many words are there on the line? Well, yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because obviously if, if you're being paid for a line and there's a, there are 89 or... 90 or so characters, but you're only being paid as though it was 55, then isn't that worse worse for you? It's better. Um, well, you get more through. You have fewer words to translate. Um, well, anyway, let's stop here. <laughs> go, go figure it out. <laughs> Before I think we go into the weeds. I think yeah. it's somewhat generous. Um, and okay. the criticism was swift. So the BDU, the German Association uh, for Translators and Interpreters, states basically said the lawmakers missed an opportunity uh, not only to increase rates and kind of show appreciation to the, you know, uh, the legal translation, uh, ju judicial translation and interpreting community, which they often profess, uh, but when it comes to actually paying, uh, you know, some of that respect is lacking. Not only that they criticized, they also criticized that they didn't abolish Uh, the ability of the German states to still put out local or regional framework contracts that are apparently, uh, they have the ability to undercut the national rates. Oh, okay. Complicated. Wow. So it's not like this is binding apparently, but I might get this wrong. So please let mm. me know if I got this wrong. But apparently you can still have uh, local framework or regional framework contracts that undercut this, and, and that's not great. Um, On, U uh, on LinkedIn, uh, somebody from the UK still commented that, well, the Germans should be happy. Those rates are quite good. So let's leave it at that. Um, hopefully, I still get invited to the next BDU conference. <laughs> <laughs> that was, was one of my best experiences ever uh, last year when I was able to speak in the German, former German Bundestag. Yeah, uh, you know, and basically, weren't there like a thousand people or something all in this big conference yeah, it was, style? Yeah, but it, 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 it was very nicely. Um, I mean, you didn't really feel that it was a thousand people. Like it was just yeah. it's such an impressive, obviously, venue, right? It was the former venue of the Bundestag before they moved to Berlin. It was in Bonn. Yeah. But I mean, the sound system was amazing and, and everything. Uh, so did they have like the raised uh, cyclical seating, or, like really? amphitheater? You know yeah, how? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like. So a, that's why it doesn't it's not doesn't look like a sea of people necessarily. You're kind of nicely exactly. cocooned. Yeah, exactly. And then there were some people on, on kind of a balcony level up there. So, uh, well, anyway, please remember to invite me again. Uh, don't need to be the keynote speaker. I can just be there. Moving to equity research, completely different topic. Um, why are we talking about equity research? A, it's something I'm familiar with, although my knowledge is dating quickly. Uh, and B, because Jefferies, the U.S. investment bank, uh, announced that they, they signed an alliance with uh, Nico Securities in Japan to... Um, it's basically a translation alliance. So they're sharing research with uh, Nico Securities and they're going to start doing uh, sharing research on high profile stocks that will be translated initially and, and then coverage ex uh, grand, uh, gradually expanding to about 100 stocks. Um, 
So that's good volume. I mean, this, this piece of news just triggered uh, me to think about my good old days of, of doing a bunch of uh, equity research translation, selling it and, and liaising with the client. So I think it's a, it's a nice topic to just briefly cover. Um, so that's good volume. I mean, if you cover 100 stocks, that's a lot of updates um, and, and a lot of good, good volume. So we don't know if Jefferies does this via a vendor, or maybe they have some partner in Japan that does it, or maybe they maybe even do some of that translation in-house. You know, the no Nick, particular Nico, insight you mean in Japan. Uh, no, Jefferies or Nico. I don't know. I mean, who, oh, okay. I mean they're partnering, so I don't know who takes care of the translation. But right, okay. Let's just take this as a quick opportunity to give you an uh, overview of equity research translation. So first, you know, what is equity research? Um, it's basically um, a lot of the uh, investment funds that need to invest, right? They go to big investment banks and they want to trade uh, through those investment banks. Uh, and, uh, and then there is a, a what you call sell side, uh, um, the sell side part of those brokerages. They, uh, they provide uh, coverage of all of the stocks that you can potentially invest, right? And because you want to be informed when you're investing uh, lots of, uh, uh, of course, big sums, you, you need some research on that. So that's what the, the, the brokerages do. They write about all of these different companies and write big reports. For example, when RWS publishes a new set of results, there's usually a big research report that comes out by you know the, the, the brokerages that cover that stock. And that's a lot of text and it's a lot of analysis. And uh, it's actually quite nice to translate these texts. Um, it, you know, it's, it's fairly technical, but if you're into this kind of financial analysis, it's, it's got some prose-like characteristics. It's almost like journalistic. And sometimes those analysts would not just look at spreadsheets, but they'd actually go maybe sometimes and visit the companies and really get an insight into how these, these companies work. So it's kind of journalistic content almost sometimes. So if you're into Does that kind of stuff, it's Does it talk about what the nice. companies do? Yeah, of course. Okay. So, they so it's look not at just all... like, here's, here's the balance sheet, et cetera, et cetera. No. It's more like an analysis of the customers and how they're operating and what have you. Yeah, and the drivers, right? And I okay. mean, you, you presented at that Capital Markets Day um, at yep. some point. And, you know, I also sometimes have uh, calls with people that cover the translation uh, space. Um, well, the translation companies that are listed, right? So they, they want to know quite detailed analysis around that. So the output of that are reports. And those reports need to get translated if you want to get into, for example, the Japanese market, because Japanese fund managers, they don't really speak English that well, right? I mean, there's other markets where you can just sell, send the English language reports, but in China, in Japan, in Korea, uh, maybe sometimes also in Germany, uh, you, you, know, you want to translate those into uh, the, the language of, of your investment uh, fund clients. So... Now, there was a big change in about two years ago. I'm not going to go too much into detail, but that uh, basically um, those um, the production of that research used to be bundled into uh, the, uh, the price of doing a trade. And so they overproduced a lot of that, uh, that research. There was tons and tons of volume. And then the European Union put in a regulation, lo and behold, um, they had to price the research separately, and then, you know, basically the asset managers had to buy all those reports as a standalone product, which, you know, uh, it was interesting. Uh, it, hit, it did ha have a, an impact on volumes, translation volumes as well, but they have since stabilized. So, um, 
yeah, it was it was a good space to be in. It, it was quite competitive as well, uh, but it was yeah. uh, it was an interesting space to cover, uh, and and still is. And it's also hard to find good translators or experts for mm. this because if you, for example, you speak Japanese, uh, English, and you're a finance expert, well. We spoke about you this work many at a times. Bank or something. Uh, yeah, you <laughs> like, maybe sometimes work at a bank. Make a ton of money as an, invest an investment banker. So, I, I think it's it's a very prime area for post editing machine translation, but I do stress the post editing part, not just the machine translation part. Yes, you can do a fair amount of that work with machine translation, probably because it's so it's fairly consistent in, in its in its. Um, characteristics as a text type but you know if you really make a major if, if mt makes a major mistake that's a problem so you know it's it's people trading on, on that information so you still want to have uh, experts that are that are looking at this um let's go to the other side because that's where you were at home right the investment funds um yeah. and another niche that still generates a bunch of translations so let's talk mm -hmm. a bit about investment funds before we move on yeah, I mean, it was interesting hearing you talk because I, I haven't seen so much of the equity side, but more on the investor side um, so, or investor disclosures, really. Um, so we used to translate thousands sometimes of, of these really short documents that are basically investor information documents and companies, big investment um, companies are required to put these out make them available um, to all of the potential investors around the world. So if you have a fund and you intend to um, sell it to somebody in, I don't know, Germany or anywhere across in, in Europe, you need to have um, the fund available, or sorry, the fund information available in the language of your investor as well. So, but these companies have sometimes thousands of different funds um, and they have, to in, they have to bring out the same disclosure kind of documentation for each of them. So you went, and, and in often, oftentimes the funds are not that dissimilar one from the one from the other. They might be sort of sub funds of the same fund. They might, you know, be trading in, in a different currency or something or leveraged in a different currency. Um, so very, the documents themselves are very, very similar, very short as well, um, very uh, structured. So they're kind of two pages normally, two to three pages now that uh, some of the uh, new regulations come in. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, it's kind of prime prime property for potential MT post-editing. Um, again, only post-editing because the companies can get huge fines if they if they get stuff wrong um, on those investor information uh, documents. Um, but mm. it's again, and it's a big market, yeah. Let me just pause you there for a second. So the, one of the key differences, I guess, between equity research and these investor documentation um, material, is that investment as equity research is primarily targeted at institutional investors, right? Whereas those funds need to be, I mean, it, it, they need to be written primarily for a retail audience. Uh, at least they should understand them. So it can't be like full of like crazy yeah. investment lingo, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's there's plain language requirements so that, you know, anybody, you or I could could sit there and read them or maybe not you or I because we've worked in the space. But, you know, anybody could sit there and, and hopefully um, be able to understand them. Um, like, I, I mean, I remember finding it very upsetting at one point when I realized that nobody ever read these things. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so, same in equity research. So I'm, spend, I'm yeah. spending, you know, 10 hours a day managing these projects. And then uh, somebody said to me at one point, yeah, but you know, no one ever reads those, you know, the final documents. I'm like, what? So now I make a point of reading them, actually. So because I, I have a, a like an investing app called uh -huh. uh, Pl Plum. And you basically, so it's like whatever, you, you have it on your phone and you can go in and move money and, and things like that. Um, but I went in to see if it had these key investor information documents or key investor documents. Uh, and it does. So you can kind of, you can, within the app, you click on the documents, you can go and you can access the, like the, I think there were 11 or so, 12, 11 or 12 different key investor information documents just for that one app, basically, that allows you to invest. But that means that you're only able to invest in 11, 12 funds or, and they just have the, yeah, related... I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the really simple ones where like they do all the investing for you. So you don't actually choose where your money's going yeah. necessarily. Um, well, you can't, you kind of do to a certain extent, but they kind of give you the high level, like, oh, it's going into X, Y, Z. And then, but I think it's managed by somebody else on the back end. Good, yeah. good. So, Hey, you made uh, some, some other. PM, head of PM Happy somewhere, the translation company, you actually read it. Or was it, what, were you able to select the language version as well? Or was it only no, English? I don't, no, I think it was only English. And I think they were actually, so the funds themselves, I think were managed by Vanguard. So whoever's been doing the Vanguard, although Vanguard probably writes in English. So, you know, I'm not, not a beneficiary of the translated versions. But then those kids, um, yeah. uh, again, key investor document, what does the S stand for? Uh, I don't remember. Oh, just so, the plural. Yeah. Okay. So those yeah. kids, um, they go into what, all of the, what, 20 European, or they, it they depends just, where you want to sell your funds. It depends yeah, where you want like to sell register the fund. your okay. funds. Yeah. 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 I think it's a good idea. I mean, you know, if, if you want to have people's money, you probably should tell them where it's invested. So, yeah. uh, even if it, no one reads it, you know, then, then it kind of, the, you know, it's, it's on you if you don't read it. So, yeah. There we uh, go. Good plum. You plucked plum. Hey plum. <laughs> uh, well, I use it. I it's not necessarily an endorsement, but there we okay, go. Sure. <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, you know, we typically don't cover press releases too much by vendors, but I, I found uh, I think we we can give a, a broader picture. So SDL partnered with Rova with two V's um, mm -hmm. and uh, on their new Slate product. Uh, what's what's Rova? Have you? Uh, yeah, they were, so I did a bit of digging. Rova, well, and also from the press release, it was they are a co-working and virtual office provider. So like a subscription-based WeWork type thing. I hesitate to say, um, but they offer businesses sort of access to private offices and meeting rooms, um, and they have offices all around the world. What's um, a virtual the, office though? Like virtual, what, what does that well, mean? Well, I think when I when it, I was looking at it, it was sort of saying that they'll give you like a PO box or they'll give you an address in in New York, for example. Okay. Oh, and then maybe, you get you get you get you get to stay at one of those maybe if you well, you, yeah, yeah, yeah you work have the, you kind of have the address. Yeah. Okay, and so Slate so Slate mm -hmm. is SDL's kind of off the shelf MT raw MT plan right it's kind of it can be raw it, it can be raw empty but it, they also offer um subscriptions for post editing um okay. with it so, as well so i think there's three levels of service but each of them rely on um well have MT at the core yeah and we said we we're, we're not taking it personal that they call it slate so it's okay that's uh that's fine with us um now the bigger 
to me, more important point here is that sometimes LSPs underestimate maybe what they could do with channel partnership. This to me sounds like a channel partnership. So you go to Rova. Rova doesn't buy Slate, but Rova offers it to their customers as an add-on when they you know set up these virtual offices and, and, and workspaces, et cetera. So it's, uh, it's not easy to find a partner where it actually works. Uh, but we, we had a partnership with an e-discovery firm once where we'd be the preferred translation provider for an e-discovery firm, and that gave us a fair amount of leads into uh, law firms, right? Um, so as an LSP, you can look out for potential win-win situations where you, you know, basically you find a channel that, that will benefit from adding your services to their offering, and then they funnel uh, uh, partners to you. So that's kind of for you to generate leads. So this is just one small example where SDL uh, scientists with Rova, but uh, for SDL, uh, sorry, for LSPs generally, I think this, this could be, or this is a, a potentially good route to, to new leads. Um, mm. One thing that occurred to me as well is that, I mean, this is totally fabricated in my mind, potentially, but um, the SD, maybe SDL uses Rover offices, you know, so maybe they maybe it's like mm. really, really close to home and they, they came up with some kind of, hey, makes sense for us, makes sense for you. I don't anyway, know. The point, the point maybe being, you can, you can ask find... Francisca. I can ask Francisca. Yeah, my first ever boss. <laughs> so she's now what would she, Direc would she director of Slate? I think. There you go. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. No, because uh, I guess it just the thought being that you can find customers anywhere, you know, or yeah. partnerships anywhere. So maybe your co-working operator is interested in your translation technology slash services. Absolutely. Yeah. Look where you are, what, what space you're in, and maybe you'll find uh, you'll find some win-win situations. Uh, just be be mindful of setting up those um, uh, kind of referral contracts or, or lead, I don't know, premium contracts, etc. So um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of them don't work. Eventually, they, they they sound great in theory, but and don't really work in reality. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try them. I mean, maybe you're going to hit a home run with a couple of them. Cool. So we need to move on to Slaticon Remote now, and um, hopefully uh, everything goes well. I'm sure it will, and by the time this airs, it will have happened. So thanks so much, and uh, see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Cool. Bye.